Psalm 85, verse 6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? There's a clue in this verse that reviving brings rejoicing. So our prayer as we begin 2024 to God, our prayer to God is revive us again. God bless you. Please be seated. Whether or not you feel this need, we need a revival. And my prayer for the last month or so, uh, before I wrote the article that you received last Sunday, has been God revive us again. We're in a new year. This past Wednesday on January 3rd, I taught on the theme of time and about the references to time in the Bible. The Lord gave his Old Testament church ample opportunities to begin again. He gave us a new year, a new month, or in their way, a new moon, a new week, a new day. His mercies, the Bible said, are new every morning. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Amen. We renew our commitment to Jesus Christ daily by taking up our cross to follow him. The Apostle Paul wrote that while our outward man or nature perishes, our inward is renewed day by day. So we are at the beginning of a new year. And while you can be renewed day by day, every day, week, month, the new year is a good time to to really be renewed and to make commitments to God about how you intend to change to be better for his glory. It's a good time to begin again. In our culture, it's just natural that January is a month of making resolutions and commitments. And if you're averse to making New Year's resolutions, then wait a few weeks and start yours in February. But by all means, do something and change to be more like the Lord. You know, I'm not a young person, but I've decided to never be cynical when it comes to reviving my spirit, my soul, and my body. It's important that we resist the temptation to say, well, I tried that last year and it didn't work. Or to say, well, you know, those resolutions, they never last. Or it's just marketing to get people to join a gym and they know they're not going to stay with it. You know, I can choose any time I can change any time I want to, right? Some people say that and they just put it off and I can quit this habit tomorrow and I can make that change the next day and Tomorrow never comes and we procrastinate and what we procrastinate, we tend to abandon and never do. So I want to encourage you to not judge other people who are trying to be better. Be an encourager. If they ask you, be an accountability partner and then don't judge yourself to say that you can't change. Reject the theory, you know, that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I've heard that all my life. Have you? Can't teach it. It's an old, it's an old idiom that dates all the way back to the 1500s. And it was considered to be one of the oldest idioms in the English language that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And the idea is that old dogs have lost their edge and maybe they're too stubborn to change and they're set in their way. So I decided I would research this 
non-biblical principle in preparing for this message. Maybe old dogs just don't want to learn anything new. The same might apply to you, right? Well, I I read that, that old dogs can learn new tricks and there are benefits to them. And you can encourage your senior canine uh, to exercise their brain muscles. According to Dr. Lugwood Hooper, a cognitive biologist at the University of Veterinary Medicine in Austria, Vienna, Austria, regular brain training shakes not only us, but also dogs out of their apathy in old age, increasing motivation and engagement and thus maximizing learning opportunities. Throughout their lives, dogs are natural learners. They're curious by instinct, constantly using their senses to observe and explore their surroundings. And some people even say that old dogs learn new tricks better than young dogs because they can concentrate better and they sit still long enough to listen. Now, I hope we're better than old dogs. And I hope that in 2024, you can learn a new habit. You can change an old behavior. You can say goodbye to yesterday and hello to a grand new opportunity to be a better you spiritually, physically, mentally, attitudinally. Amen. If you're an older dog, pardon me. Why don't you make 2024 a time to learn a new trick? a new habit, to grow a new spiritual discipline in your life. Amen. And don't be guilty of thinking that you don't need to change. You're just fine like you are. Ask somebody who loves you, who's honest, and they'll tell you you're not nearly as good as you could be. There's a lot of room for improvement. It might be the biggest room in your life. Amen. Well, I'm not preaching so much about New Year's resolutions. But I am preaching about our need for God to revive us again. For our greatest need in our own lives, in our church, in our country, is for God to revive us again. And if we are not revived, we will surely die. Amen. I've thought about spiritual atrophy. That if we're not revived and revived again, we'll suffer a kind of spiritual atrophy. Now, spiritual atrophy is caused by by various things, but the complete wasting away of a part of your body. Well, one of the reasons is because of disuse or a lack of exercise. So a part of your body atrophies, wastes away, you know, doesn't have the same muscle tone as it used to have. But spiritually, people can atrophy as well. That by reason of use or a lack of use, they just become dull of hearing. They're not as spiritually sharp as they used to be. And the writer of Hebrews said that strong meat belongs to them that are full age of adults, Christians, of grown up people in the Lord that by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In other words, if you exercise yourself spiritually, you'll be stronger than you were yesterday. You'll grow in God a little more than you were yesterday. Amen. Amen. And if you don't think you need this message, you probably need it the most. 
Now, there's a lot of stuff going on in the religious world, a lot of compromise, a lot of spiritual atrophy, and I don't typically name denominations in a message, but, but I will today because it's in the news, a mainline church that is hemorrhaging millions of members and thousands of congregations. They're splitting over the role of the LGBTQ plus people in their church. Some things are not formalized, but as of November 19, 2023, in the North Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church, they voted to allow 261 congregations to break from the United Methodist Church. It's a schism over the theological differences over how they say the LGBTQ plus people in the church. So far, the United Methodist Church has lost 7,286 congregations, many in the South, Midwest. I read all of the statistics about this. It started back in 2019, and many of them are, are joining the global Methodist church. I thought it was ironic. I checked to make sure I was right, that their icon is the symbol of the cross and a flame, a cross that anchors you to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and a flame that symbolizes the power of the Holy Ghost. The United Methodist Church was founded. Its roots are John and Charles Wesley. They started a holy club in consecrating to Jesus Christ. If you read about early Methodist revivals, they record deep moves of the power of the Holy Ghost. And most historians claim and say that the Pentecostal revival is rooted in the Wesleyan holiness movement, the Methodist church. And that then now there's this breakaway group that is happening now. They're trying to find a way to get back to God. I read one of their quotes. They said, Methodism is the grandfather to modern global Pentecostalism, which is the fastest growing religious movement in the world. He said, our methods have always been a means by which we place ourselves in the environments where we can be filled and sent by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's power remains central for church renewal today. He said, no great move of God has ever been absent of encounters with the divine power of God made manifest through the Holy Spirit. He said, what started at Pentecost continues to this day. It is no coincidence that wherever the church is growing, one finds unashamed openness to the supernatural power of God. On this first Sunday of 2024, I'm here to declare to you that we are not ashamed. We will not shy away from the demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost. We are hungry and our prayer is, oh God, revive us again. Revive us again. That's what's happening to them. But we are not them. We are part of the United Pentecostal Church International, Atlanta West Pentecostal Church, a local church. In my lifetime, I, I've held some official role in the UPCI for about 42 years of my 45 years as a credential minister in the United Pentecostal Church, in a section, a district, the general North American church. And, and our organization desires to be a revival movement 
Our general superintendent asked me to chair the strategic growth initiative committee and there are wonderful things that are happening with the men that serve on that committee. The heartbeat of our general superintendent, Dr. David Bernard, is revival. He's a missionary kid raised in Korea when the nation was in a great revival. When I was 18 years old, I went on a missions trip there and I learned how to pray more fervently. My call of God was clarified while I was on that trip. Our general superintendent is a church planter, built a great church in Austin, Texas. He's never had a caretaker mentality and God is doing something great in our organization. But I just want you to know that the United Pentecostal Church cannot revive us again. It can't be legislated by an organization. It is not the responsibility of the Georgia District United Pentecostal Church to send a packet in the mail that will bring revival to this local church. And then I will go ahead and say, it is not the responsibility of this local church or me as a pastor to send a revival to you. I can preach about it, but I cannot make it happen in your life. It's got to come out of your own spirit where you say, oh God, I want a revival. It's me. It's me. It's me, oh Lord. I am standing in the need of prayer. I want to say yes, goodbye to yesterday. And my prayer is, oh God, revive us again. Revive me again. If there is revival in our country, in our organization, in our state, in our church, in a team you serve on, that revival has to start in the heart of an individual who prays, oh God, revive me again. Change me, oh God. Bend my spirit. Break my will, Lord, before you. Revive me again. Revival <laughs> comes from heaven. Comes from God. As it was on the day of Pentecost. Revival comes from a source that is not organizational or natural. It is supernatural in nature and it comes from God alone. The apostle Peter said when the Holy Ghost fell on the Gentiles that it fell on them as on us at the beginning. It fell. It wasn't organized, worked up, it was prayed down, but it came from heaven like a rushing mighty wind that filled all the house where they were sitting. In 2001, Dr. Harvey Cox wrote a book entitled Fire from Heaven, The Rise of Pentecostal Spirituality and the Reshaping of Religion in the 21st Century. At that time, Harvey Cox was the Hollis Professor of Divinity at Harvard University he wrote a book that shook up traditional Christians. He didn't write it as a Pentecostal, but he wrote it as he studied the effects of Pentecostalism on global religion. He wrote, it was born a scant 95 years ago, really now it's 117 years ago, in a rundown warehouse on Azusa Street in Los Angeles. He wrote for days of religious revival service. There went on and on. And within a week, the Los Angeles Times was reporting on a weird babble coming from the building. Believers were speaking in tongues the way they did at the first Pentecost 
recorded in the Bible and a Pentecostal movement was created that would start the 21st century and tracked over 400 million followers worldwide. That was 2001. Let me update you today. They say that there are 644 million Pentecostal people in the world. They may not be identified by denominations, but they claim to speak in other tongues. About one in every four people who claim to be Christians claim to be Pentecostal Christians. In other words, they claim to speak in tongues and have that fire from heaven. Revival comes from heaven. But it is kindled, that fire is kindled on earth by repentance and seeking God. So on this first Sunday of 2024, my soul cries out to God. Oh God, revive us again. That was a prayer of Jewish pilgrims who had been released from exile in Babylon. After 70 years of captivity, there was a great reverse when Darius, the king of Persia, announced a decree that declared deliverance to all the Jews who were held there. They said we were like them that dreamed. It seemed too good to be true, but it was true. They were released from captivity and they returned home to Jerusalem and Judea. It was a great revival and a return. But when they got back home to Jerusalem and Judea, that surrounding province, they encountered new struggles, new difficulties, new problems delivered out of Babylon back home, but now facing new issues that they had not faced in 70 years. There was revival, but there was resistance. The city of Jerusalem lay burned and in ruins. The great temple had been ransacked and destroyed. There were powerful and envious enemies that surrounded them on every side. The rebuilding was laborious and morale was low. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah record the revival of those who had returned to Judea. It is in this setting that Psalm 85 is written. They said, Lord, you've been favorable to your land. You brought back the captivity of Jacob. You've forgiven the iniquity of your people. You've covered all their sin. You've taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Restore us, O God, our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger in your generations. Those are the first five verses of Psalm 85. And then our scriptural setting today, verse six, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. In Psalm 85, six, they were praying essentially, Lord, do it again. Do it again, Lord. We know what you did back then. 
We can read the history in the Bible. We can read the history of Azusa. We can read the history of revivals in our childhood or in our youth. But we're saying, Lord, we stand in the need of another revival. Lord, revive us again. You did it before, Lord. So do it again. It goes like this. This is kind of the commentary on it. Their prayer is, Lord, will you not turn us and revive us? We need God to turn us toward him so that God can turn himself toward us. God will not turn toward us until we turn toward him. God's turning toward us is conditional. It is contingent. On us turning toward him. In verse 6, there's an idiom in the Hebrew. It means to reverse one's action. In other words, we're saying, God, we realize that if we continue to sin, if we continue in apathy and complacency, if we continue life as it is, that there is judgment coming upon us. But we're praying, Lord, that we, you would reverse the action of judgment. It's the idea of some type of a creature, a creature like an insect that puts his stinger back in its sheath, or I say like an enemy that puts his sword back in his sheath and changes his mind. So we're praying, Lord, revive us again. We know that there's judgment coming on the sin of our world, but Lord, we're praying that you would turn us toward you so you can turn toward us, that you would put away the sword of judgment, that you would give us a space of grace, give us a little reviving in our trouble. Oh Lord, our prayer is revive us Again, revive us again. Amen. Revival comes from heaven, but it is kindled by a fire of repentance on earth. It's a result of something, of repentance and turning toward God. The last several days and even over the last month or so, I've been reading about the revivals, the nine great revivals. Some theologians say that have taken place in America, the biblical revivals that took place in the pages of Scripture. Revival is always the result of repentance and returning to the Lord. Repentance is a change. It's a change of heart, mind, and life direction away from sin and toward God. It requires us to be poor in spirit, to humble ourselves beneath the mighty hand of God so that he can exalt us in due season. Repentance brings revival every time. Returning to the Lord. Returning to the Lord. Revival is a conditional promise in the Bible. If you will, I will, says the Lord. Second Chronicles 7.13 This is Solomon praying, seeking the Lord at the dedication of the temple. And the Lord said, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. And if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, God is saying, because of the sin that exists in Israel, if I judge you, if I bring adversity in your life because of sin, God is saying, I want you to know that there's a remedy. There's a way out. 
Verse 14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. You've got to do that first. A breaking of your will. A breaking of the outer man to see the release of the spirit. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn and turn and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Verse 15, now mine eyes shall be open and my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. That's why my prayer for 2024 is God revive us again. We're not going to just sit in criticism or in judgment of the condition of the church, this church, the global church, any other church, the UPC, the United Methodist Church, the Catholic Church. We're going to say, Lord, it's me. It's me. It's me. Oh, Lord, I'm standing in the need of prayer. And Lord, I'm returning to you so you can turn toward me. Revive me again. Oh Lord, revive us again. If you will, God will. It is a conditional promise and nothing can stop the fire from falling from heaven. It is like blessings that come from the windows of heaven. If you will, God will. And nothing can stop the Holy Ghost from falling in your life, in your family, in this church. Revive us again. Revive us again. Amen. You know, one of my favorite things to kind of joke about is when people say, man, we had great church today. No preaching. Glory. He always preaches with me. So is revival defined by powerful demonstrative worship? You want to see that? You love that? Think it's wonderful when it happens? But I can tell you that revival is not defined by it. But demonstrative, powerful, Holy Ghost worship is the result of a revival. In the Old Testament tabernacle, the altar of incense that typified worship was ignited by a coal that came off the brazen altar of repentance. In other words, first, there had to be sacrifice. First, there had to be a fire of turning to God. And from that fire, there was a coal and a coal would be lifted from that put in a censer, an item of worship, an incense put on those coals. And then the beautiful smell of worship, the aroma of worship would come into the presence of God. But true worship is never just the result of practicing and playing and singing and changing keys or hyping people up. It is born on your knees in prayer and repentance in a prayer room and seeking God. Nadab and Abihu were the sons of Aaron, the high priest. The Bible said that they went to God to worship and they had a censer of worship. But when they went to worship God, God struck both of them dead. While they were worshiping, God killed them. Why would God do that? The Bible said because they offered strange fire to the Lord. 
What is strange fire? It's any other fire than the fire that comes from repentance and a right relationship. It is worship that is superficial, that is not spiritual. It is worship that comes from the lips and not the hearts. I want to see God pour out his spirit in demonstrative, powerful worship, but it must be born in a spirit of prayer and consecration and humility. I say, God, revive us again. Powerful praise is produced by prevailing prayer. And pardon me for being blunt, but the reason some of you can't praise God is because you don't pray. You can't find praise because you're not right with God. But if you would repent and pray and seek his face and say, God, revive me again, then praise would flow out of your heart. It would just come naturally. There would be a demonstration of the spirit and power. Revival produces it every time. This revival defined by people becoming righteous and holy in their lives. I will say that revival produces righteousness, not the other way around. Repentance comes first. Cleansing next. That righteousness is a result of revival. The apostle Peter wrote, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy Holiness is a component of revival. And in the study of revival, you will learn that there's never been a true, sustained revival without repentance and righteousness. Every time people get right with God in repentance, they change their habits, their life, their speaking. It changes them from the inside out. Revival produces righteousness. Well, Lord, we need new people added to the church. Will evangelism produce revival? The answer is not really. Revival produces evangelism. Evangelism is the result of sowing seed, telling your testimony, teaching a Bible study. But we know that the God of this world has blinded the minds of people that they cannot believe and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we want people to come find God here, then we need to find God here. There needs to be a power in our lives that changes us so it will change them. Evangelism is a result of revival, not the other way around. And I do know that they all feed off one another. His revival defined by reconciled relationships. Revival is not defined by reconciled relationships. But reconciled relationships are the result of revival. God, Jacob, he's been gone 20 years. He's prospered, successful. His brother Esau hates him. Jacob stole his birthright, got his blessing. Esau, 20 years later, still has murder in his heart. Jacob tries to appease his brother Esau by sending presents to him, gifts to him. But that doesn't work. Esau is still coming with 400 men ready to kill him. The relationship is still fractured. Time has not erased the animosity. But Jacob sends his family across the brook Jabbok. He is there alone. And all night long he wrestles with the angel of the Lord. The hollow of his thigh is out of joint. 
He gets up the next morning, muddy, maybe a little bloody, limping on his hip. The Jews will not eat of that sinew that comes from that in honor of that wrestling match. And there is Jacob. He doesn't look very austere. He doesn't look very proud. He doesn't look very successful. He spent all night wrestling with God. But when he walks toward his brother Esau, the heart of Esau is melted and the relationship is resolved in a moment of time. Revival will reconcile relationships. If you will change your attitude, if you'll get thoroughly right with God, it will trigger something in the heart of other people. You need to work on your marriage. You need to work on your family. Why don't you start it by working on your walk with God? Why don't your prayer be, oh God, revive me again. Revive us again. There's revival defined by miracles, signs, and wonders. Revival is not miracles, signs, and wonders. Miracles, signs, and wonders are the result of revival. Signs follow believers. Believers do not seek signs. We seek God. And when revival comes, signs and wonders and miracles will naturally follow. It was the prayer meeting of Acts chapter 4 that produced great power and great witness in the disciples of Jesus Christ. Revival comes when we turn to the Lord with all of our hearts. Revival is returning to God so he can turn to us. In that great chapter, Joel chapter 2, that prophet who spoke of God pouring out his spirit on all flesh. In that same chapter, Joel 2 and 12, the Lord, they said, therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, with fasting, and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him. He changes his mind of the evil. In other words, he's ready to come and judge you and destroy you like Solomon's prayer. But repentance reverses it all. When you say, Lord, revive me again. Verse 14, who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Revival is turning to the Lord. And if you will, God will. And that final prophetic message of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi that is written in a question and answer format. Malachi 3 and 7. The Lord said, even from the days of your fathers, you're gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. The Lord says, return unto me and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But they said to him, Lord, wherein shall we return? The New Living Translation says, well, how can we return? If we've never gone anywhere, they were oblivious. They pretended to be oblivious. 
to their need of revival. Acting clueless to their need. Reminding me of the church of Laodicea. Revelation 3.14 To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were cold or hot. This is, some say, the condition of the North American church in this era. We're not really bad. We're not really good. Not on fire for God, but we're not completely backslidden. We just come and go. We're kind of complacent. I'm not saying you are, but Laodicea was. So then the Lord said, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit. I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and become wealthy, have need of nothing. Do not you know, the Lord said, that you are wretched and Miserable, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, the Lord said, you're clueless. You're like the people in Malachi who are saying, Lord, why are you saying we need to repent and turn to you like we've never even left you, Lord. We're, we're still like we've been all of our life. We're doing just fine, Lord. Are we really? Perhaps the greatest threat to revival is the belief that you don't need one. Leonard Ravenhill in his classic book, Why Revival Tarries, wrote that revival tarries because our hearts are too complacent and indifferent toward the spiritual condition of our world. Like lukewarm Laodicea, we don't feel that we're wretched, miserable, poor, poor blind, and naked. You might think we're fine when we're really not. But my prayer has been and is today a prayer of Psalm 85 and 6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? It's already been announced twice, but this coming week is a week of prayer and fasting. I encourage you to join hundreds of people in our church family in praying and seeking God and being here Wednesday night to pray corporately for God to revive us again. started my message by saying, don't be cynical. Don't be critical. Now I say, don't be complacent and think that it's not you. It's everybody else that needs revival. I pray that you'll harden not your heart. That you'll turn to the Lord with all of your heart. Today, that you will repent of all known sin. That you will forgive others. And that you will seek forgiveness from people that you have wronged. Atlanta West is an amazing church by many measurements. My mission today is not to condemn you. It is to challenge you. My objective is not to minimize your commitment to Jesus Christ. But I would be a fool to say that we do not need to pray. Revive us again. Revive me like you did in the past. Do it again, Lord. I woke up this morning. My message was finished. But the Lord showed me something that's so obvious. You probably saw it. 
when I gave you the clue at the beginning. It's cause and effect. If we will, God will. Revive us again. May your people may rejoice in you. Everybody wants to rejoice. But rejoice is the effect. Revival is the cause. The conditions of their culture had robbed God's people in Psalm 85 of their joy. And they realized we can't just throw a party. We can't be like the people of the world. Go get high. Go get drunk. Just celebrate and feel real joy. It's temporary. It's fleeting. It's superficial. It doesn't satisfy the needs of our hearts. They said, Lord, we need some joy in Israel again. There's too much bleakness, too much destruction. But they were wise enough to understand that we need God to revive us before we can rejoice. And the joy that you're missing in your life will come back when you pray, God, revive us again. Lord, I pray that you would let my tongue be filled with laughter. When you deliver me, then the joy is going to come back. Amen. In David's prayer of repentance, he said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not from thy, away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with my free spirit. The American church, Atlanta West Pentecostal church, we need a revival that produces rejoicing and joy that lifts us up above the shadows and the trials and the troubles of this life. Amen. We want the effect. But today I'm calling you to the cause to say, Lord, revive us again that we may rejoice in you. If we will, God will. Psalm 30 and 5. Weeping may endure for a night the joy comes in the morning. We love that verse. But I had to go look at it again, even this morning. Wasn't in my notes until this morning. Psalm 35 says, For his anger endureth for a moment, and his favor is life. The weeping is the weeping that comes from God's judgment, God's conviction, the fear of the Lord that says, Lord, I've got to have you in my life. And the psalmist said that weeping of repentance endures for a moment, but there's joy that is coming in the morning. If you will repent, God will revive. If we will turn to him, he will turn to us. So today, would you join me in saying, Lord, revive us again. Revive us again. Confession and cleansing is the path to reviving and rejoicing. The Bible said that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And for the joy of salvation, for the freedom of addictions cast off, for the joy of burdens lifted,
for the joy of new people coming to God, for the joy of relationships reconciled, for the joy of demonstrative, powerful services, for the joy of signs and wonders and miracles, for the joy that is set before Atlanta West Pentecostal Church, for the joy that is set before you. Would you endure the cross of commitment and confession and cleansing? Just stand right now. These altars are open. Would you come praying, Lord, revive. Revive us again. Revive me again. And I can rejoice in you. Stream out of those pews. Don't be slow today. If you cannot get to the front near where you are, please leave room in the aisles. Come as close as you can. Revive me again. Revive us again. Some of you are saying, I don't feel anything right now. You're not going to feel anything till you turn to the Lord. But if you will repent, God will revive. If you will confess, God will cleanse. The joy that comes in the morning is after a nighttime of weeping over our lost world, of weeping over our own sins, of weeping over our own backslidden condition, of weeping over our complacency, of weeping over our carnality, of weeping over our misplaced priorities. Joy is coming in the morning.